Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now here is your host, Barron's Hall of Fame advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Welcome to another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. This is our first episode here of 2023. I think it might be too late to wish everybody a happy new year. I'm not sure, but in any event, uh, happy, healthy new year here in 2023. Um, excited to be here. I hope everybody is rested and ready to go. Um, today, we have a slightly different format um, so, you know, interestingly enough, I had a very, very, very good conversation uh, earlier this week uh, with an advisor who was part of my and John Randall's uh, coaching program. And we do this mastermind group that I think we might have spoke about once uh, here on the podcast. And he had asked for a little extra time of mine uh, and came in with some what I thought were really good pointed questions around my favorite topic, which is leadership. And he was asking about uh, how he can become a better leader and wanted to ask me uh, some clarifying questions. So I had John Randall, who was going to be part of this today, but instead in his absence, John's not feeling uh, well today, uh, I've invited Joseph Greco uh, from Cutton Consulting Group uh, to join us today. Joe uh, helps coach a lot of the advisors in Cutton Consulting Group in a lot of areas. Uh, but with a particular expertise in marketing uh, and also in CPA partnerships. And uh, we're going to switch roles here a little bit, Joe. We're going to give you the opportunity uh, to ask some leadership-driven questions uh, of me. So with that being said, Joe, maybe you can say a, a quick hello to the audience and we'll get into it. Thanks, John. Hey, everybody. It's great to be here today. Um, I've been working behind the scenes with the podcast for a while now, so it's finally uh, great to get a little bit of a spotlight here on the actual show. So thanks again, John. I'm looking forward to these questions and uh, let's get into it. Yeah. And just for, for those of you uh, who don't know, uh, Joe is the mastermind behind this podcast. So he's the guy who generally drives our topics, uh, who does a lot of the behind the scenes, making sure the quality is good and uh, that you know gets it out uh, to the world uh, as well. I don't know how it gets out to the world, but whatever you do, Joe, comes out pretty good. And uh, and a lot of people are listening these days. So uh, so thanks for doing all that. And I'll give the conch back to you. All right, great. So let's get into it, John. So the first question here that I had for you is, as you have built you know this leadership culture within your organization, what do you think have been really your main keys to success? Well, you know, Joe, uh, and again, this is a, a question that I just answered for, uh, you know, for an advisor just a couple of days ago. So I'll kind of go into it the same way um, that I shared it with him and then feel free to, you know, ask any kind of clarifying questions uh, as well. But, you know, as I think about the keys to the success that we've had, I think it's really been primarily around two or three things. So one, um, was me actually intentionally deciding to do it, right? So to build a culture of leaders developing leaders uh, inside of the organization. I've said on this podcast before, you know, our firm's vision statement is super intentional and it's that cut and wealth management is not only a Barron's Hall of Fame practice, but that we're known industry-wide as a supercharged leadership development factory and that we develop level five leaders. Uh, with an exclamation point at the end, I always like to say. So 
Um, I share that uh, just to kind of you know show the significance of being super intentional. You have to actually decide uh, to do that. And what I know, Joe, um, is that not everyone has had extensive leadership development training. Um, so I was lucky enough to one, grow up in a firm that provided leadership development. Uh, two, I really enjoyed it. So I was a student of it. And three, as I've really built this leadership-driven culture, which has really only been with intentionality over the last, say, four or five years, um, I've, did it, I've done it with the help of a coach, Ray, you know, Ray Kelly, who we've had on the podcast before and Think to Perform, uh, which is, has obviously helped me to become a better leader and also to kind of bring a profit in from, you know, from another land as opposed to me bringing it to my team and my advisors directly. And I, and I think, Joe, um, what was really, what's really important about that is you have to remember, right, and I don't mean this, uh, you know, to any of our listeners uh, in a negative way. In fact, it's, it's who I was as a leader back in the day, right, and I still get glimpses of it. Most financial advisors weren't trained to be leaders, and they actually run more of what I'll call a control and command leadership style, where I'm the boss, we do it my way or it's the highway, and the people inside of the business are there to do what you as the advisor ask them to do. So they become used to you being that person. And then all of a sudden, you come in one day as this leaderful guy or gal with a whole new way of leadership. And you know your people who work in your organization are looking at you like you're crazy because a, a day ago, you were you know, pounding your fist on the table and say, work harder, work faster uh, kind of thing. So you know, I, I think bringing in a profit from another land, being communicative to your team and saying, hey, I've recognized an opportunity to change here. Um, and I'm, I'm being very intentional and sharing with you, you know what, um, I need to get better to build, right, the organization that I have a vision for. Um, and then the other two pieces, Joe, that I think I shared with this advisor a couple of days ago, which, uh, which I thought was pretty valuable. Uh, one was, you know, it's not only intentionality, but it's being able to cast vision, right? So if you could cast a vision that's big enough for the people inside of your organization to see an opportunity for them to get what they want for themselves inside of your vision, that's big enough for everyone in the organization, they will follow if they believe your intentions are pure and there's something in it for them and it's actually a purpose that's worthy of their very best efforts. And I know I always say the last thing, Joe, but the last, last part is as we've built this in our organization, and I've learned this from uh, Ray Kelly and, and others, you have to build the tactics or the tools inside of your organization so that you have common communication styles and a way to actually teach leadership. So in our business, we've talked uh, at past episodes, you can go back to one of our old episodes that I think Ray Kelly did for us on the five levels of leadership. 
right? Or we've talked a little bit about situational leadership. And what these are, are these are tools that everyone in the organization can actually use to ultimately have common communication and to be able to give feedback and to be able to kind of have a common way of growing leaders within the organization. Great. Yeah, I know. You know, communication times 10 is one of the things that you taught me over the years, which I think really resonates, um, you know, with the size of your organization. So I would completely agree. Um, the second question that we have here is, how would you describe your leadership style? So I know there are a few different styles and, you know, different leaders utilize those different styles. What is your specific style, John? Well, um, you know, I I actually um, asked uh uh, Jake Dunlap, uh, who's uh, who's my business partner and president of my wealth management firm, just last night at dinner. Um, this was something I think I learned from uh, from John Maxwell. I think it was John Maxwell. I could be wrong. I said, hey, Jake, what's it like to be on the other side of me? Right. So what's it like to be on the other side of me as 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 my business partner? What's it like? Um, what does it feel like? What am I good at? What am I bad at? What are what are some of the you know areas of improvement? Uh, et cetera. So um, as I think about how I would describe my leadership style, what's interesting is I probably, um, from a self-awareness perspective, and this would be the question that I'd ask you to ask yourself as a listener, is are you actually self-aware enough to understand how other people, namely your followers, the people you're responsible for leading, are you aware enough to actually fully understand how they view you and what your real leadership style is? So to quote, I believe it's Maxwell, right? Um, John Maxwell, um, he, he uh, had said in a book uh, and in a podcast, uh, which really resonated with me and made a, a super big difference in how I lead people. He said that there's really two ways to lead people, right? One is connecting and the other is directing, right? So connecting or directing. And I'll give you kind of a, you know, a definition of that. And what, what most leaders do is they either direct because they are, right, that control style, control and demand style that I talked about before. And that's kind of old school management right? Or they're fully on the other side and they look to connect and they build relationships um, with the, their followers. But sometimes they go too far and it's almost an appeasement methodology where there is no accountability. There is no feedback, right? So as I look at it, what I try to do, and I believe I do a pretty good job of, is a combination of the two, Right. So I try, Joe, to be a, a bit of a chameleon. I'm not always successful and I don't always use the right style. My natural tendency is actually to direct. My natural tendency is to tell people what to do because I generally feel like most business owners that I know the answer. Um, but if you don't connect with someone, right? and you don't have someone's trust, the key to leadership is trust. If someone trusts you, they will go to great lengths to help bring your vision alive. And again, they need to believe that that vision is big enough for them, 
and that it's a ultimate um, vision that is worthy of their best efforts, right? That by achieving it, they're going to give their best efforts. And they have to actually believe that you, as hopefully more of a servant leader, someone who's trying to help that follower get what they want for themselves, truly has their best interest at heart. So if all you do all day long, Joe, which is what most new leaders do, is they direct, right? Or they connect without a, a, a real vision where that follower can see what's in it for them, then what happens is you can't get the same result or, or the, the desired result, right? So I believe my leadership style uh, is to first today, and it wasn't always this way, but is to understand what's in it for them. What is it that Joe Greco wants, right, in his career? And if I understand what Joe Greco wants and I can find a role inside of the organization that's worthy of Joe's best efforts, and then I'm in a spot that because I understand that, right, and we in our business, we use something we call the Woody Woofy process, which we've talked about, which stands for what do you want for yourself? If I know what Joe wants for himself personally, from a self-development perspective, and from a business perspective, and I understand what Joe's core values are, ultimately that helps me to connect with Joe. And if I could be seen by Joe as someone who understands him, right? The number one connector to people is having them feel understood. Listen to a podcast last week. Um, it was actually, I, I keep quoting people today, I guess, but it was an Ed Milet podcast. And those of you who don't listen to Ed Milet, uh, he's amazing and uh, one of my favorite podcasts uh, to listen to. And he was talking about um, hostage negotiators, right? And I'm going to butcher the statistics. So the statistics are wrong. Let me go on record of saying that. But he said something like the hostage negotiator is much more likely to actually get that, the, 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 the person who's holding someone hostage, to get that hostage released, much more likely by helping the, the person who took that person hostage, what do we call them, a, a kidnapper, <laughs> uh, a, uh, a bad person, right? Um, much more likely to get that person released by helping that person feel understood by more so than by meeting their demands. So if they're asking for a million dollars and food delivered and you know all of these things, more likely if you give that person all the things that they've asked for, they still will not give the person that they kidnapped back, the hostage, right? But if you actually just help them understand that you understand how they got there, why they did this, right? And that it's not necessarily their fault, that's what they're trained to do to actually release that hostage. So I butchered that, Joe, uh, by the way, but hopefully everybody gets the point. Um, so as I think about my leadership style, probably could have answered this one a lot more quickly. I think it's a combination of connecting and directing and every relationship will have times when you lead someone where you need to connect. You gotta love on them. You gotta help them get what they want. You gotta help them feel understood got to give them a break, right, et cetera. And that same person at some point is also going to need to be directed and they're going to need you to look them in the eyeballs and go, hey, Joe, man, 
you didn't do a great job on that today. You're better than that. We can do better, right? I expect more from you, right? Things along those lines. And that's another piece that I try to do, Joe, um, that again, doesn't come natural to me. I'm a guy that grew up, my dad who's passed away a decade plus ago, um, was the kind of dad that when I walked out of a basketball game with, you know, 25 points, six rebounds and three steals, um, and I got into the car, he reminded me that I got trapped. I was a point guard in the corner and I had a turnover and I should have known better than to go into the corner and walk into that trap. Not, not the 20 plus points, not the rebounds, not the steals. So that's my, my DNA, right? But man, when people feel believed in, right? And that they can actually accomplish something, um, they start to believe as well because most people have a lot of self-doubt and when they know someone believes in them, most people rise to the occasion. Yeah, absolutely. That That's great. And, you know, I go back to an earlier point that you said on that question, um, kind of the heart hierarchy of doing business with someone, which I know that you and I teach with our program, you know, they have to like you first, then they have to trust you. If you can't get to those two points first, you can't really lead someone, right, or expect to do business with them in the CPA, um, you know, kind of capacity there, right, as we teach. So I, I really agree with that. That really is a great point, John. Um, so the next question that we had from the advisor is, you know, tell the listeners, if you don't mind, John, about your approach to delegation, right? And I know different leaders have a different style and understanding and uh, philosophy about how they delegate tasks. So how do you handle that within your organization? I'm a good delegator, Joe, you know that. Um, so my, my key to success, and I think one of the biggest limiters to financial advisors and business owners in general is having that control freak gene, right? So um, I, I actually um, came to the conclusion probably 15 years ago that if I wanted to grow, that I needed to delegate, okay? And if I didn't do that, I couldn't grow beyond myself. And I think this is something that I see advisors we coach, advisors that I've acquired their businesses, quite frankly, advisors who work in my organization today. When advisors get stuck, it's because they can't grow beyond themselves and they can't grow beyond themselves because they believe that they're the best at everything. And I, I, you know, I, I'll use myself as an example, right? So I've got 150 plus people in my organization. We work with 100 plus CPA firms. We have 10,000 plus clients, so on, et cetera. So if, if I was not able to build the CPA business, because I, I pioneered it, as you know, Joe, I built the first dozen plus maybe 20 CPA partnerships in the business. And I sat at their office desk and I created the systems and processes that we now use and that we teach other advisors. Um, but I couldn't physically meet a hundred CPAs a week right now. Now, if I met a hundred CPAs a week, no disrespect to my business development team, I'd like to think maybe not anymore, but there was a time that I could drive better results from those CPAs than the people that I taught how to do, right? No differently than on an average week, my wealth management business does about 400, give or take, client meetings a week. Imagine trying to do 400 client meetings a week. 
Now, if I was in all 400, I know I could deliver the experience exactly as I intend for it to be 100% of the time. I think I might win some extra business. I think I might get some additional referrals. I think I probably have a skill set that might be better than some of our advisors in my organization. Not all, but some. So if you're an advisor or any kind of business owner and you are doing all of those things on your own, you start to get to a point where you're not going to be able to grow beyond the broad shoulders that you have. I call it, Joe, plate spinning, right? Quote Paul Latham. <laughs> so, you know, he says most business owners are plate spinners. And, you know, you can grow a business based on how good and how fast and how many plates you can actually spin. But eventually you get to a point where you can't spin any more plates. And some of the plates that you're spinning become wobbly because there's only so much time in a day and you can only work so hard for so long. So as I coach, acquire, merge, meet advisors in the industry, I would say, Joe, I mean, literally 98% of the time, maybe more, what the, the biggest pain point that that advisor has is he or she won't let go, right? So Dan Sullivan wrote an amazing book, um, Who Not How, okay? And for those of you who haven't read it, I've recommended it before, go out, read it. It will, gener it will really change your life, right? It changed mine. It's, and and what, what was interesting is I listened to a podcast that Dan, uh, Dan did, and when he was first releasing Who Not How, and what he said was forever in his coaching, he would call it delegation. And you asked me a question, Joe, about my approach to delegation. And that's what the advisor asked a couple of days ago. But, but the, 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 the reality is, is delegation is a word that for whatever reason has become so overused in our world that when you think about delegate, what do you think about? You think about, man, I shouldn't do the paper shredding or I shouldn't confer a client meeting, or I don't need to call the client to schedule a meeting, or I can delegate a summary letter that needs to be typed and sent. That's what the world I think and what I always thought of when I heard the words delegate. Now, when I, when I taught delegation to advisors before reading the book, Who Not How, that's what I, what I was saying was Who Not How, right? I just didn't have a good way to explain it. And what I the word I was using was delegate, which is misinterpreted to give the mundane task to somebody else and do the higher level work yourself. But who not how is is different, right? It, what it says, Joe, is hey, you don't need to know how to do everything in your business. So as an example, I literally run a wealth management firm and I don't know how to make a trade. Now I could learn how to make a trade. Um, I can muddle through it. I'm sure if I chose to do that, I could, um, but I choose not to because I hire and pay who's, who really are experts at trading. And what they enjoy to do is trade, right? So Joe is one of my who's to coach. I could coach myself but I don't have enough time to coach everyone. So Joe's a really good coach. 
He's good at delivering our system. He's good at helping advisors stay connected and holding them accountable. He's good at um, problem solving when, when advisors run into something. Now I could do all that on my own, but Joe's just as good as I am. In fact, he might be better now and he's more passionate about it because that's what he likes to do and that's what he studies and that's what he wants to be the best at. So that's what he spends his time on, right? I've got somebody who runs my firm's money. They happen to be a chartered financial analyst. They went, they went to, you know, passed extra exams. All they want to do is talk about the stock market and the bond market and the real estate market and what's going on in the economy. Could I do that? Sure. Do I know a little bit about that? Sure. But my CFA team is actually better at that than I am. So again, my cut and long-winded answer, but I would say as I think about um, you know, delegation, and I think about where advisors struggle, I would say you can't grow beyond your broad shoulders and how many plates you can spin. If you're having a hard time getting through the ceiling of complexity, getting to that next level, I would say you should really think about how you approach what you do and find and hire the very best people to take on tasks inside of your organization. Now, sometimes the very best people early on, it is an administrative person to do your filing and make your, you know, uh, do your letters and confirm your appointments. That for many people is step one. And most advisors that have created a fairly sizable business have done that. Where they get stuck is hiring a business development person to run business development for the organization, someone to build CPA alliances, an advisor to serve clients. So you can maybe do the business development if that's what you're best at, right? And, um, and anyway, Joe, again, uh, that, that's how I look at it. And um, I think about, you know, delegation is a word I think we should eliminate from most of our vocabularies. And I think we should focus on this concept of who, not how. I think Dan Sullivan, uh, the strategic coach, is brilliant in how he's taught that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, in regards to that step one, I know one of the things that you taught me is that, you know, if someone can do a task as 80% as good as you could actually do it yourself, they should probably be doing that task completely, right? 100% of the time, because that's how you're getting at least. Yeah. It's um, a, get to that front and get some of that, that, that off your plate, right? Yeah, it's a great point. Um, couldn't agree with you more. You know, it, it, again, if you try to do everything on your own, it's like, you know, you just use a simple example, Joe. Um, I do actually know how to change my oil in my car. I do know how to mow my lawn. Okay. Um, but I look at those two tasks and one, I'm not as efficient at mowing my lawn as my landscapers are. They've got the right tools. They've got a day set up around mowing the lawn. They're not fitting it in. They don't have kids to run around to soccer on a you know on the day they come to mow my lawn or lacrosse or football or whatever it may be. Um, and they've gotten better at it. They're better at it than I am. So I could either spend three hours mowing my lawn, um, or I can bring in a who who's a lot better and more efficient at it than I am. And yes, I pay for that. Right. But as long as I take those three hours that I would have used to take care of, you know, all of that, that stuff, um, if I use it someplace else, I could go spin another plate and maybe that plate would be more valuable to me. Nothing against mowing your own lawn, nothing against uh, saving money on doing that, nothing against the joy of a beautiful lawn that you could take pride in and uh, et cetera. But I just use that as, a, as an example. 
Yes. And I think everyone would agree they probably don't want to spend three hours mowing their own lawn anyway every week. So I think yeah, that was a good hours decision. might be a little long, but depends <laughs> on how big your lawn is. Absolutely. So to address the last question here, the final question from the advisor that we thought was great and pertinent. Um, how do you think leaders, John, can contribute to a positive work culture? Leadership is everything. Um, so to me, we've all heard the old adage, right? Um, you know, uh, culture beats strategy, eats strategy, culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? Um, and the reality of the situation is it's the truth. You can have the greatest plan in the world, right? right? Greatest widget or the greatest, you know, wealth management process or whatever it may be. But if you don't have the right culture in your organization, um, ultimately, the, 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 the vision is not going to ultimately come to life. People aren't going to run the play. They're not going to be connected. They're not going to be, you know, fully on board with what it is that you're trying to accomplish. So when I think about what leaders can do, I go back to where I started, I guess, a little bit, and I'll go back to that word intentionality, right? So, um, and your words, right, which were really, really additive to the conversation today, which is you need to be intentional about the vision that you're creating. You know, I've talked a little bit about EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system, we use kind of our, you know, our, our VTO, our vision traction organizer to do that. But you have to consistently, as the leader of an organization or one of the leaders of the organization, tie things back to the vision, to the mission, and to the values of your organization. Now, if you don't have a vision, a mission, or values in your organization, you got to go back and, and be intentional and think about if you want to lead through others and be build an organization that's bigger than yourself, if you don't have that vision, like I mentioned, that's big enough for everyone to get what they want for themselves and a purpose that's worthy of their very best efforts, then ultimately, why do people show up to work every day, right? Right. So is it our tagline is to help our clients to plan for the certainty of uncertainty? All of our employees could tell you that, right? We want to provide financial advice that provides confidence, simplicity, and success, right? We, we, when, when everybody's clear on what it is we do and how we do it, and you communicate it literally, like you said, Joe, 10 times more than you think you should, and then you provide as a leader the fertile soil, right, and the vision to help people have a career track so that they can actually get what they want for themselves. And again, I'm connecting a lot of dots here about leadership. It's easier, way easier said than done. But when you step outside and you work on the business, which is another thing advisors have a hard time doing, and because we're so busy in it that we don't get a day, a quarter, right, at least, to step out and go, man, I'm just going to be intentional and think about my thinking and think about what I'm trying to build and think about how I can build this vision that other people in the organization see how they can contribute um, to the purpose. Um, if you do those things and you talk about it incessantly, eventually what starts to happen, Joe, becomes part of the culture, right? And we've all heard, you know, the old saying, 
um, that, uh, you know, higher, slow, fire, fast, right? Higher, slow, fire, fast. If, if you have someone in your culture, and I see this all the time as well, that doesn't buy in, they don't align with your core values. They don't align with the vision, right? They're just showing up to work to get a paycheck or they're showing up to work and they're at the coffee cooler, you know, after you're talking about the vision saying, man, I don't know what this guy is talking about or what this gal is talking about. That's, that's not what I want to do, or I see it differently, or I've got a different, um, you know, a different vision for myself. Um, you know, it doesn't mean don't listen to people's vision. That doesn't mean you're always right, but man, if someone is in your culture and they are not gung-ho and you're not all paddling in the same direction. You got to get them out of that culture. You got to do it quick because it will poison your culture. And I will share, Joe, I've been in cultures um, where, where that's occurred, right? I'm embarrassed to say it, but I've been in cultures uh, where it, it, it turned bad, right? It was, it was, you know, leadership against the employees, as an example, and things along those lines. I've come into some cultures and I've fixed them as well, where it, it was a bad culture. You got had to get rid of a couple of the, the rotten eggs, so to speak, in order to ultimately right, move the culture uh, to where you want it to be. But, um, but that would be my thought there. And I would also share, um, and then I'm happy to, to wrap here, Joe, or ask any other, answer any other questions uh, that you might have. But what I would also share is um, it takes a while to change your culture because your culture is it, it's it's who it's who your business is right now whatever it is it it's been that way probably for a long time and it's hard to change culture it's hard to change habits it's hard to change standards right really hard and it takes a vision it takes a plan and it takes consistency and continued development of yourself and I'll tell you what, usually takes six months at a minimum, maybe 18 months, two years in some cases, until you can completely get to a point that you've really changed culture. And the, the last thing I'll say, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll turn it back to you for a minute, is um, the, the bigger you are and the longer you've been, the harder it is to change, right? So a three-person organization is like a speedboat, right? All you got to do is just kind of, you know, point in a different direction with your rudder and boom, you want to go north and you're north, right? Today, you know, use my organization, you know, call it 150 people. We're kind of like a, like a cruise ship, right? If you ever watched how a cruise ship uh, moves, right? It doesn't just move the rudder and all of a sudden you went from, you know, going south to going north the way you could um, in a, in a little, uh, you know, a little uh, one engine rowboat or, you know, kind of thing, powerboat, I guess. So I think the audience, you know, understands that. So, you know, kind of the bigger you are, the longer and harder it is to change. It also, right, will have the biggest impact, right? You can if you can have 150 people, right, all rowing in the same direction, man, you can make a lot of change. You could change a lot of lives. You could do a lot of good in this world. Um, now, the flip side of that is if it's only one or two or three of you in the organization, you could change quick 
Um, and then you don't have to redo it. You can add at a much quicker pace, right? To the growth of your organization and adding more human capital. Because once you get your culture right, people come into the culture and they just know this is kind of how we do things here. And I better follow along and the culture will spit them out, Joe, uh, if they're not the right fit. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I'll tell you with uh, the bigger organizations, you know, that we coach and cut, cut and consulting group, um, you know, really the success is leaders developing leaders, you know, the, the organizations that actually focus on developing their leaders within, that's how they get that quantum growth, that exponential growth, because it's not all on the CEO, right? It's not all on the C-suite um, to, to really force that leadership. You have other people stepping up um, and leading up, right? And I think that really is the key. Um, to how bigger organizations can really utilize this stuff and really grow at a fast rate. So I love that, John. That was great. Yeah. No. Well, thanks, Joe. You're a pretty good interviewer, man. You could you could create the agendas. You can produce the podcast. You can put the social media and you're an amazing interviewer as well. So uh, thanks for doing that. That was uh, that was super fun. Absolutely. It was great to have. Great to be here, John. Thanks. Got it. So uh, to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. Um, I hope you all found that valuable. I, I actually thought that the, the, the four or five questions that was asked of me a couple of days ago were really thoughtful and I appreciated uh, the advisor asking me them and enjoyed talking about it. So I thought that you uh, as our listeners might as well. Uh, and I you know genuinely hope that you did. So with that being said, thank you for tuning in for yet another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. If you yourself or anyone you know could be a good, interesting guest. Please shoot us a note uh, and we'd happy be happy to consider having you or that uh, special individual on. So make it a great day and thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttonconsultinggroup.com forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app and we'll see you next week.